Whether you know it or not, I think you are here today uh, both to be a disciple and to disciple someone. You think that's true? When should we be discipling? Is now part of always? A more vernacular word for disciple. That's kind of a Christian-y word. You know, that's kind of a Bible word to disciple someone. What, what does that mean? Well, I think a better word is, is to coach someone, right? We are coaching people when we disciple them. In particular, we're coaching them into the truth and into the life that God has for them. We're just moving them a little bit closer uh, to the blessing, the full blessings that the Lord has for them uh, in their lives. Coaching you may recall uh, from last week, is different than teaching. Coaching is different than teaching because you can teach somebody something and then just kind of walk away and be done with your job and just give them a, a piece of knowledge. But a coach stays alongside and reinforces and reminds and drills and corrects and builds and inspires and evaluates and encourages. Coaching is a more full-bodied, full-lived experience. Uh, teaching tells us what we should know, but it takes coaching to make us do what we should do in order that we might be who we should be. My favorite quote on coaching comes from Hall of Fame coach Tom Landry, who says, a coach is someone who makes you do what you don't want to do so that you can be who you want to be. It takes coaching. It takes discipling. And we constantly coach one another, and we should constantly be coaching the world further into the life, the promise, the purpose that God has uh, for everyone in the world. Now, I know that sometimes you need stuff for you. You might come to church, you might come to your small group, you might come to a friend, uh, because you need to be filled up, because you are in a needy place in life. Anybody in a relatively needy place in life right now? Yeah, it happens, right? Uh, and in those times, it might feel like you don't have much to offer. You don't have much coaching to do. Uh, but during those times, you still need to be discipling. You still need to be coaching people. When should you be discipling? Always be discipling. That didn't have much conviction in it. Say, always be discipling. That's right, because it takes attitude to coach well. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And what I have found in my life is sometimes when I give, I receive what I need. Anybody else found that to be true? You have to be who you are in order to flow as you should flow. And who are you? Well, in large part, you are salt and light. That's what Jesus says. We always gain strength from being who we truly are. We always gain strength from being who we truly are, and we are truly salt and light in the world. We are the coaches in, in, in the world, Jesus says. Uh, I, uh, you know, depression is a big part of my personal story. Uh, you regulars will know, will know during my, my, I call it my period of great depression when I was in graduate school in Chicago. I was lower than low. I was near suicidally depressed. And during that period, uh, Sonia and I started a, an Ohana group, a small group in our house. Began with about eight undergraduate students. I was in grad school. Um, and I was so wretchedly depressed, it was all I could do to talk to people in any given day. But we invited them over just to have, you know, a godly experience together. Most unique and in some ways most fruitful small group experience that we have ever had. Of the original eight of us, 
uh, in that, eight or ten of us in that small group, um, we have gone on, just, just those people, not even the people who came later to it, but just those people have gone on to plant, depending on how you count, five to six churches. Those eight people. Always be discipling, even when you feel wretched, because it helps you be who you are. The smartest thing I did during the lowest time of my life was to keep being light, was to keep coaching for all I was worth. And that's how I got what I needed. Somebody give me an amen. Thank you. We are always discipling. That's who we are. I can tell that you guys need some warm-ups. This isn't a teaching session. This is a coaching session. So everybody, go ahead, do this. Whap the person next to you. We got to warm up a little bit. Let's say some things. Let's say, always be discipling. discipling. Let's change it up. You guys are always. You guys are be. You guys are discipling. Ready? Okay, you guys kind of suck. I'm a coach. I'm not your nanny. Now you guys kind of suck. Apostle Paul says, compete with one another in the doing of good works. That's biblical, you know. Let's try to get, oh, now you're, now you're a little bit angry. All right. That's the Yoda version. <laughs> Even Jedis need coaches. Gatson, say it works. It works. <laughs> it works. Testify, brother. He's my best. It, it works, guys. Men, stand up. Men. This is a macho thing. Women, you're not going to understand this. I want you, uh, uh, Jeremiah and I have been working on a good handshake, uh, my, my little boy. So I want you to give good handshakes to one another, which means I want you to take from the heart. I want you to look somebody in the eye. I want you to shake somebody's hand, and the first guy is going to say, life is good. And then the second guy is going to say, fight well. It's very macho. It's very macho. You want to get in each other's space. You want to put some heart in it. So find somebody to shake hands with. Life is good. The other guy says, fight well. Find somebody else to shake hands with now. Put some posture in it. Shake hands from the bottom of your feet. All right, everybody's going to play this one. You've got to get a piece of paper and a pen, or you've got to get out your smartphones or something like that. We're going to do this exercise in 60 seconds. Anybody working up a sweat yet? Yeah, sitting down in here, you work up a sweat. I know. All right, I want you to make a list of five people that you encounter most days of the week. Say, during most weekdays. Five people that you encounter not in your family. Yeah, not in your family. Some of us have families that are eight people. Five people that you encounter 
on a daily basis, not in your family, more or less daily basis. Five people, write it down, go. Five people you encounter on a daily basis. Got them? If you can't think of five people you encounter on a daily basis, get a life. Huh? Not the same people? People you see fairly regularly. Come on, don't be a legalist. Let's write them down. Five people that you see fairly regularly. All right, now look at your list. How many, you saw those people this week? You've seen these people over the last two weeks? All right, in what ways did you disciple them? Look at your list. In what ways did you disciple those people over the last week or two? I heard courage, encouragement, prayer. How many of you, of the people you listed, had a discipleship conversation with at least one person on that list over the last two weeks? Okay, uh, 15%. But now you have your list. Turn to somebody next to you and say the names. All right, that's enough on that. The point, the point is not to have, like, you know, targets. The point is just to remind ourselves that we actually have encounters with people. And when should we be discipling? When should we be coaching people closer to God? Always. Even if you are here this morning and you don't know what you think about God, maybe you would not call yourself a believer yet. That's fine. I'm telling you, your life will be fuller and your purpose more complete when you disciple the people around you, whether you're a believer or not. Encourage them to get closer to who they truly are. You can think of it that way, if nothing else. Of course, if you are a follower of Jesus, uh, then you have an even more robust idea of what you should be doing. This one we're going to take two minutes to do. Two minutes to do. I want you to write in one sentence your personal God story. One sentence. One sentence. Let me fill out what I mean by that a, a little bit. I might say something like, I encountered God in a way that was very independent of religious society and rather independent of society in general, and yet somehow I spend a large portion of my life now building communities of faith. Now, uh, there are different stories that I have to tell, but I use that one sometimes when I'm in conversation because it tells people two things. One, uh, you know, I'm an individual who encountered God. I am not representative of some empty tradition. I encountered God independently, and now I build communities of faith. Well, why would you do that? I want them to ask me about my church. I want them to ask me about my friends. I want them to ask me about my ohana because I have some fascinating stories to tell. So a good one-sentence story provokes question asking. It has a bit of interest to it, right? How many of you remember the 90-second testimony drill that we did at past church retreats? They have you write your whole life story in a way that you can tell it in 90 seconds. Well, one sentence is even better because 
You can drop it into any conversation, and it's a way to get started. And the hardest thing about coaching other people is getting started. So you have to have one sentence ready to go. So what's your one sentence God story? Maybe yours has, maybe, they all have a trajectory to them. Maybe yours has to do with being a, a doubter to being a believer. Or maybe you become a, a standard believer to an actual minister. What does that mean? Well, have somebody ask you. Or maybe uh, you went from being a burnout to a renewed Jesus follower. We would say in Christian language, a prodigal to a minister. Right? One sentence. Go. All right, turn to your neighbor and share your one-sentence God story. Even if you are a total non-believer, you have a story to tell about you and God. It's like, well, God might be out there. I don't know, but I'm here for some reason. That's a very interesting sentence. Okay, tell somebody next to you. If nobody's next to you, Andy, you you have to be rude. You actually have to bother somebody. Bother Josh. He's very botherable. He's a very nice kid. And one one person says the sentence, and then the other person says the sentence. Just get it out of your mouth. Just practice getting it out of your mouth. All right, that's enough on that. Moving right along. These are drills. Hey, somebody, tell me, what are five good discipleship questions? Everybody, clap with me. One, two, three. All right, what are five good discipleship questions? What's God been saying to you recently? What's important to you? What do you work, how are you working that on? How are you working on that, rather? Yeah. What's, what's getting in the way? How can I help with that? Who are you bringing along? Who are you developing in life? All very provocative questions that you could answer Uh, that you could ask anyone at any time. What's the thing that stops you most from discipling people? What's the thing that stops you most? Fear? How many of you already have an answer? Just remember that answer. Uh, Who's feeling really smart? Yeah, that's what I thought. Who's feeling really daring? Who's full of faith? You guys are such cowards. Chris, stand up. What's the way of the Lord? He loves us. Jason, what's the way of the Lord? He cares for us. What's the way of the Lord? Sam. Discipleship is the way of the Lord. All very good answers. Remember those. I have about 18 minutes. I'm going to blow through uh, the rest of the sermon. You're going to follow. One, two, three. Some of you are going to follow. Teaching point number one, I want to talk about values versus culture. 
Here's the point for today. Just because you have godly kingdom values does not mean that you're carrying kingdom culture. Just, be a, just because you have kingdom values does not mean that you are carrying kingdom culture. In life, we have these values. Everybody has values. If we're spiritual people, maybe our values have to do with God's character, with love, uh, with grace and generosity. Uh, if we're Jesus followers, our values have to do with salt and light. Um, then below those values, we have culture. Right? I don't know if culture supports values or values support culture, but we, we have a culture uh, by which I mean we have all these behaviors and these expectations and these accepted norms. We have a way of doing something, right? We have, we have values, and then we have a way of living, and that's, you know, culture or a way of living together. Uh, is, is a culture. The problem is that sometimes there is a disconnect between our values and the way we live, a disconnect between our values and our culture. Jesus said that we must have a value for being salt and light in the world, that we must never hide our light, put it under a bushel or something stupid like that. He said if we're not being salt, then we're worthless. That's what he said, right? Things are going to go poorly for us, we're not going to have what we need to have or be what we need to be. Uh, we have a value of salt and light. Do we have a, a way of being salt and light? Do we have a culture of being salt and light? Does our culture encourage and enforce us to be always discipling? Or is our culture something different? Has our culture come to accept a different way of living. Is it okay in our culture not to be salt and light? It's worth thinking about. Uh, teaching about values is easy, but creating a culture just takes a lot more than that. You can't just teach culture. You can only coach culture, as it turns out. Uh, which is to stay to build a culture. You have to be on the field together. Uh, you have to be active. You have to be working together. You have to be drilling repetitively the sort of behaviors you want. You have to be creating expectations and enforcing them with one another. Group culture requires a group attitude. I, don't know, I think about that uh, with respect to Blue Water Mission. What's our group attitude? Do we have an attitude that is all about being salt and light, being worthwhile? Or do we have an attitude that's not very salty or lighty? What's our attitude? I mean, we all have the value, but what's, what's our group attitude and our way of doing it? Churches mostly should be about culture building, I think. I don't think, mo I don't think churches should mostly be about teaching at all. I think churches should be about culture, building a culture that helps us be who we should be. Uh, because you can learn values from reading a book, uh, but culture requires working together. You build culture through sharing attitude and experience together by telling stories, trying stuff together. You do it with little sayings that you speak constantly to one another, with songs that you sing that reinforce good things in one another. <clears throat> culture building is a big deal in any healthy church. In one way of thinking, it's the main deal. 
Do we have a culture of love? Do we have a culture of power? Do we have a culture of generosity? Do we have a culture of discipling wherever we are? That's the main deal. We want a sight and salt and light culture. We just need the attitude and the action that backs it up. What culture are you carrying in the world? Think about that for a second. Coaching moment, think about it honestly. What culture do you carry in the world? What attitude do you carry out into the world? Is it a salt and light one? Is it a perpetually needy one? Um, teaching point number two, I want to talk about the way of the open spirit. The way of the open spirit. When I say that, how many of you think of Kung Fu? Thank you. You are following perfectly. The way of the open spirit. I used to uh, uh, study a martial arts a bit. I spent a lot of time in a dojo. My, my son uh, is kind of into it. And uh, we sometimes uh, discuss fighting styles. I learned different fighting styles, going full styles when I was growing up. And you guys have, I mean, you've seen the movies, right? There's the drunken kung fu style, which is just to be very loose all the time. So even if you get hit, it doesn't hurt because you're always giving. There's the, uh, the monkey style, which is always to be moving and flailing. Uh, there's the, the bear style, as I learned it, which means to always be moving. Don't you take a picture of me, woman. <laughs> there's the bear, the bear style, which is just to overpower with mass. It works for uh, beefy people with low centers of gravity. There's the dragon style, which as I learned it was to always be slashing, to always be, have punches coming from directions that the other person cannot keep track of. There's the crane style, made famous by Karate Kid, right? Uh, the crane style is really about misdirection, right? I mean, they're looking at your wingtip and you're kicking them uh, where, where it counts. I'm not sure that's a fair definition of the, the crane style of fighting, but but something like that. Well, what is your fighting style? This is something that we're going to explore more and more uh, through uh, upcoming sermons and the all-church retreat, uh, which is coming up in, in about a month. But what is the way of the Lord? What is the, the fighting style, the kingdom fighting style of, of Jesus? And here's a passage about that. You'll find it on the back of your programs. You can read along there. It's going to be up on the big board. Or you can follow along in your Bibles digital or otherwise. And the first part is just the end of the Sermon on the Mount. It's kind of for free. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, Jesus is saying, and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundations on rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who builds his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished these things, the crowds were amazed at his teachings because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Let me sort of translate that into the vernacular. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowd were amazed at his teachings because he taught as one who was a coach and not as one who was just a lecturer. He expected you to follow through, in other words. In fact, he said if you didn't, Right? If you listen to what I say and you don't put them in action, then your house is just going to crash and you're going to look like a fool. That's kind of how he wrapped up the Sermon on the Mount. And then immediately in the book of Matthew, this is the story that follows. When Jesus came down the mountainside right after his coaching session with the group, large crowds followed him. 
a man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. A couple things going on there. Leprosy was considered a terrible disease. There was no cure, and it was considered an affliction from God, which is why the leopard said, if you, if you are willing, you can make me clean. See, lepers were never healed in Scripture. They were cleansed because when a man was healed of leprosy, when, leprosy, when a woman was healed of leprosy, it was assumed that his or her sins were erased as well. It was unclean. They were unclean. And there were laws in the Old Testament about touching lepers or being near lepers. You couldn't do it or it made you unclean. It was a violation for this man to be near Jesus and it was a violation for Jesus to be near this man. He was dirty. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and touched the man technically against the law, to touch a leper. I am willing, he said, be clean, not just be healed, but you're totally cleansed of everything that might be afflicting you or bothering you. Immediately he was cleared of his leprosy, cleansed of his leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them probably all sorts of thing going on in that last instruction. Don't tell anyone because if you do, you might be killed for breaking the law. You know, there's a lot going on there. And anyways, go show the priests. Why the priests? Because they're the ones who need to understand the way of the kingdom of God, since supposedly they are the teachers and coaches of, of the nation. I love that story uh, because Though technically Jesus breaks the law, he is completing the purpose of the law. He says in the Sermon on the Mount, I've not come to abolish the law, I've come to perfect it or to complete it, if you want a more accurate translation. I'm doing what the law wants, even though I'm technically doing something that the law forbids. You, know, um, you have to understand the meaning behind things in order to apply them well. That is to say, you need to understand the way of things. Otherwise, knowing things does not help you. Knowing specific instructions does not help you. It's not enough to teach, you have to coach, right? It's a more full-lived experience. But here's what I really want to highlight. Uh, this is a signature God moment. In the kingdom of God, in the way of the Lord, we who move in the way of the Lord are not afraid of being contaminated. In fact, we are the contaminant. That's why I call it the way of the Lord. I think if you were going to describe the way that Jesus moved through the world, you, you might well describe it as the way of the open spirit. Jesus was open. He was always flowing outward. We are the contaminant. And when you think of that, consider all the different Jesus stories that there are where Jesus wasn't afraid of, quote, unquote, getting dirty, but instead of being worried of touching someone dirty. He didn't, he didn't take dirtiness from them. He imparted the cleanness from him to them. We are not afraid of being contaminated because we are the invading force. We are the contaminant. Everybody say, we are the contaminant. Now this time everybody say, we are the contaminant. Um, Jesus, uh, when he got touched by the hemorrhaging woman, power left him into her. 
rather than uncleanness coming from her into him. Are you following me here? Jesus wasn't afraid of talking to the unclean Samaritan woman. Instead, he imparted to her the kingdom of God, rather taking from her her warped religious worldview as his disciples would have described it. Jesus wasn't afraid of breaking the Sabbath law. He used the Sabbath to heal. He wasn't going to take in sin. He was going to impart righteousness wherever he went on whatever day it was, always be discipling. Jesus didn't mind being, quote-unquote, fondled by the prostitute at the dinner party because he wasn't afraid of a woman of ill ill repute making him unclean. He knew that contact with him was making her strong and more who she needs to be. We flow into the world. The world does not flow into us, and that is the nature of the kingdom of God. And I think it's the fundamental thing that we need to realize if we are going to move in the way of the Lord. We have to be outward flowing. We are the contaminant. We are the dominant flavor. We are the light. You know, darkness does not compromise light. Light shines into darkness. There are stars billions and billions of miles away. When they shine, that light comes to us through all of space and no darkness quenches it. We are that. We are that in the world. We are always flowing outward. We don't have to be scared of getting dirty. You following me? This gives us an incredibly open culture. I'm not afraid of making contact with you. I'm not afraid of making contact with anyone. But sometimes, sometimes we are. So much of how Jesus ministered had this way about it If the way of the Lord has to do with how we should live in mood, then I think the way of the Lord is the way of the open spirit, and we should all emulate it. We should all be flowing outward at all times, be flavoring at all times, be illuminating at all times. Light is invasive. Physical illustration of the way uh, of the open spirit. If I'm being open, I'm not afraid of making contact, right? If I'm standing next to Antonio in the line at Starbucks, go ahead. I'm going to invade his space. How you doing, man? Doing all right, yeah. This is Filipino spacing. (laughs) We're okay with that. We love each other. Yeah. Go shower. Um, I love... uh, Craig, grab me that painting and bring it over here. I'll talk about it in a second. Um, Are you open at work? Like, do you move into your workspace in the mornings open to whatever might be around you, thinking about what's going on in the person next to you, listening to the voice of, are your vents open? Or are they all closed and shut down? This is a painting that Maymay, one of our prophetic artists, uh, painted a couple weeks ago. That's a family picture. Tell you why that's up there in a second. Uh, but she shows an airplane taking off, and the word that she got with this is let people feel your momentum. You know, when an airplane goes by, it's invasive. <laughs> Everybody gets swept up. If you're in the airplane, you get pulled back, right? The noise penetrates. Let people feel your momentum. And I think that's a great picture of the way of the open spirit. We are not subtle. We figure out a way to get in. We, we, we figure out what we need to do to go and start a conversation with our mechanic. Uh, the reason this is up there is because it's Maymay's last Sunday today. She's going off to college. I'm very sad about that. Maymay's my niece. 
uh, and we have a little picture up here where she was three years old visiting us in Boston. Now she's going back to the East Coast for college. But she's going with momentum. And like we said last week, you know, you might be tempted like, to pray for protection over your kids as they go off to college, which is fine that you can do that. But, you know, I'm more concerned for the college. Because Maymay is light and Maymay is salt and she changes any room that she's in, right? Any classroom that she's in because she has the way of an open spirit, not a closed one. So how are you afraid of getting dirty at work, at school? And what does it mean for you to get dirty? Um, are you afraid of getting embarrassed? getting dirty that way? Are you afraid of irritating people and getting dirtied by their irritation, so much so that you stay closed? Are you afraid of getting bogged down in your day? Because we're so needy, right? I mean, we have just so many pressures going on. Are you afraid that if you stop to really shine into somebody's life that you'll just get bogged down? You don't have enough, and so you stay closed to that opportunity. Uh, are you afraid of uh, getting stuck in tension or confusion or awkwardness? Does that keep you closed off? Are you a defensive fighter? Or are you an offensive agent of light and salt? Our goal is to change the atmosphere of our family, our church, our work, our school, our gyms, our neighborhoods. That's who we are. And we do that by flowing openly, by always being open to what's happening around us, by always flowing with a question or a one-sentence God story. You have to have that stuff ready to go, to flow, to fire away. Do you guys remember Matthew parties? Something that we taught on. Uh, about a year ago, we taught on the last all-church retreat. What's a Matthew party? A Matthew party is a meal. Get together with some friends. A meal plus one significant question is a kingdom event. A meal plus one significant question is a kingdom event. In upcoming sermons, we'll list some questions. I did that previously. I don't think very many people followed me up on it. Jesus was constantly having meals with people. The wedding in Cana, there's the meal at the home of Simon the leper, there's the meal at Mary and Martha's, there's the Last Supper. The gospel story are meals, getting together with people and asking a significant question or two, a good discipleship question. All right, uh, I want to talk about uh, closing the deal. This is our application point. I want to move us forward into who we should be. You know, the discipleship questions are, hey, what's God been saying to you recently? Or if you're talking with someone who doesn't know God, what's important in your life? What's going on in your life that's significant recently? Question number two is, um, what are you doing about it? How are you moving that forward? How are you responding to God in an active way? That's a great discipleship question. It focuses people on the need to move. Then you might ask, well, what's getting in the way? What are the barriers? You know, that's a great question to ask because we often need help or encouragement or inspiration through our barriers. Or sometimes it's good just to realize, well, actually there is no barrier except the one I make up in my head. <laughs> and then there's the 
how can I help with that question? And that's the question you really want to get to if you want to be assured of moving things forward. How can I help with that? What's going on with you lately? Um, Nina asked her mechanic, and it turned out he had a bum knee. How can I help with that? Well, I mean, she probably just assumed and prayed for his knee. See, when you say, how can I help with that, it's always going to give uh, some way of responding or moving. Even if they say, I have no idea how you can help me. Well, then you're free to suggest something, or you're free to make an invitation at that point. Say, well, you know what helps me? What helps me is my church. What helps me is being around people who are really striving for truth and God's love and purpose in their lives. That helps me. Why don't you come? How can I help with that? Everybody, turn to the person next to you and say, how can I help with that? <clears throat> how, can I help, how can I help us to always be discipling? How can I help you right now? Anybody have any ideas? I heard a few mumbles. I can help you talk louder. Accountability. Yeah, so you're making lists of people. I can check in weekly to see if you're being salt and light. It's not about preaching, right? It's about influencing people in the right direction which always ends up in the vicinity of Jesus, if you do it honestly. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, um, you are in the world to walk with us. Disciple us, Lord. Remind us of the teachings that Jesus gave. Coach us along. Help us to be who we're meant to be, even if it means doing things that part of us don't want to do. We are the contaminant. Help us to move in the way of the open spirit, not the closed and careful spirit. What does that mean for us individually, Lord? Speak, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would perfect your agenda for each one of us this morning. I pray uh, that you would flow through us, that we would be salt and light in the world, that we would be a relief to a dry earth. I pray, Lord, that we would be who we are meant to be, no matter how we're feeling in life. Give us what we need as we deliver what we have. In Jesus' name, everybody says, Amen. Amen.